Turn to your Bibles. The book of Jonah is what you should be looking for. Jonah chapter 1. And as you guys find Jonah chapter 1, I want to share a passage of scripture with you that sets the tone for this. But we will pick up our study where we left off. We finished Jonah, all the first uh, five verses of chapter 1. We'll complete this chapter uh, this morning and then move on into chapter 2 next week. So, as you guys are finding Jonah chapter 1, I want to read this passage from Proverbs 28, verse 1. It says this, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues them. I would say that if the wicked run when no one chases after them, the foolish run when God calls. Um, If the wicked flee when no one's chasing them, the people that actually run the opposite direction of God's calling are foolish. Yet I think we struggle with this in so many ways because God's calling is not necessarily an easy thing, and it's not going to be the the flattest, straightest path. It's going to be oftentimes the path that has more obstacles. It's going to be the path that's more difficult for us. And so um, to run in the opposite direction of God, we, we have to really recognize what it is. And, and it's not to beat anybody down, but it's to really cause us to stop and look at the direction we're going in and consider seeing it through God's eyes and, and whether we're obeying or not and, and what it means if we're not. What we're actually believing in our hearts when we don't listen to God's calling. To run in the opposite direction of God's call shows a disregard for his sovereignty and for his wisdom. And, and, and even if we are, I just, it's hard for me to envision that. That's why God gave us his word. That's why he empowers us with his spirit, is to trust him. He's given you everything that you need in Christ to trust him for the path that you're on. The, the, it, it always going to come down to this. Are you doing it? Are you actually trusting him? And, and when we don't listen to him, when we run the opposite way, when we make that, and we've all made these decisions, when we make that foolish decision to disregard God's calling and go the other direction, it begins a downward spiral. It never starts out as this cliff that you just fall off of, but it's a downward spiral. It's a spiral. It's almost like going down a spiral staircase. And every step you're descending, you're getting more twisted down into what you, almost like drilling into the ground, you're getting more twisted in and locked into the direction you're going. It becomes a lot more difficult to get out. And so as you think about this, this downward spiral of misery, darkness, none of us should desire that. We should be afraid of it. We should be afraid of being in a place where we're not in obedience to God and we're, we're torquing ourselves into a, a more difficult situation that's going to be hard to get removed from. And so what's interesting is, is this is really a great thought process for us to have looking at Jonah because Jonah is in the midst of a literal downward spiral. Jonah's viewing exactly what we're talking about here. God said, get up, go to Nineveh. Jonah got down and went to, and he didn't like start like dancing or anything. Like he, he, he got, he got down to Joppa. You know, God said, get up and go. He got down to Joppa. He got, maybe he got down in Joppa. You know, it was like, woo, running from God. Stupid. But what, but here's the thing. You can just forget I ever said that. Here, here's the thing. He went down first to Joppa. Then it says he went down into the bow. Then it says that he went down to the bottom of that boat and slept in the midst of this storm that was thrown onto the sea. I love the way it says that in the text. This wind that God threw onto the sea, this was all God's doing. And instead of listening, Jonah goes down to the bottom of the ship and he falls asleep, which is interesting because a lot of times we get into this place where we're exhausted from running from God and we're sleeping when we should be awake. You know, we talked about that last week. Are we spiritually sleeping when we should be wide awake right now? And so... Um, we'll find that he's not quite done descending yet. 
you know, Jonah's been on this downward spiral, but he's not done descending yet. And in fact, he's not going to stop until he hits bottom, sea bottom. Like he's going to get to the very bottom physically. And I would say he gets there spiritually, gets there emotionally. We're going to kind of see some of that come out in Jonah chapter two, just as a, a consideration as we go through this text, just because Jonah will say the right things and have the appearance of repentance doesn't mean that his battle is over. You know, there's a lot of human emotion in this. There's a lot of um, experiences that Jonah's having, and sometimes you'll look and be like, is he sincere? We'll talk about it a little bit this morning, but is he sincere? Is he really sorry? Is he just saying the right things? And I think it's a struggle that we ourselves go through. Am I real right now? Do I really feel this way? Have you ever had a day where you felt really strongly in one direction, and by the end of the day you felt really strongly in the other direction? It's almost like we're watching Jonah struggle with this. And yet through the midst of it, overarching through the entire story is the grace of God. Not only on non-believers, but the grace of God towards Jonah. You really think that Jonah was the only option God had? Do you really think you're the only option that God has to reach the people around you? God is showing us his grace and his patience on a daily basis. And that should just man, should just spark this, this love for him. This, this adoration for God that we can't even explain because he continues to show us grace even when we mess things up, even when we have a terrible attitude, even when we're doing the exact opposite of the thing we should be doing. That is the grace of God. And so let's continue on in the story. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I kind of gave you this, this overarching thing. I'm trying not to talk much about chapter two or chapter three and chapter four yet because we'll, we'll get into some really cool things there. But, but let's focus in on our text for this morning. So we're going to pick up in verse six where we left off last week, and, and we'll read the following. So picking up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, we read this. The captain approached him, Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the ship. Captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What's your country? What people are you from? So notice the assessment of the captain uh, regarding the situation that they're in. Without divine intervention, they're going to die. Look at the captain. That's exactly what he said. When he comes to Jesus, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. The captain of the ship notices something. They need divine intervention. They need someone to step in that's more powerful than they are. They're calling upon supernatural power to intervene in their situation. He recognizes the, the brevity or the gravity of what of the situation that they're in. They're going to die. And these men, who had already cried out to their pagan gods, found them to be exactly what they were. That's worthless. These pagan gods were worthless in a life and death situation. And so the captain does the right thing. He approaches the one man on board who knows the one true living God and in the same breath who happens to be the cause of their current situation. The irony is wild when you think about it. The reason they're in this situation is because the one man there who knows God has upset God because he ran away from him. It's just, it's a crazy thing. You're like, Jonah, wake up. Like, and that's kind of, we feel like the captain, you're like, Jonah, wake up. You know, like, but we're not just saying it physically, like, Jonah, wake up, dude. This is you. 
And, and even so, we find inside here that he's still reticent to tell them the truth because he doesn't tell the captain right there. And they cast lots and find him out. They find out what, who, who the responsible party is. It's interesting that in this situation, the one person on this boat who should recognize the value of life, who should recognize purpose over all the others, could care less whether he lived or died. He's the one person that should care the most because he knows the living God. And yet he's the one who cares the least about life and death. In fact, we're going to see this in a second. He would rather die than obey. Jonah would rather die than listen to God. He would rather his life be over. And we're going to see this as a recurring theme. I told you I wasn't going to get into chapter 3 or 4, but I can't help myself. Like, he, he's going to, this is a recurring theme with Jonah. If I don't get what I want, I'd rather not exist. And so, Jonah's situation is one of not caring or being in a a, a place of disregard to what God wants, to what God's calling him to, even to God's judgment, which is the storm on the sea. But the sailors, the sailors are looking for salvation. The sailors are looking for hope. They're looking to be saved. They value life more than Jonah. This is so backwards. It's so backwards. And their pagan worldview provides the opportunity for Jonah to be found out. They cast lots. And it's, what's really funny is you're like, casting lots. It's like rolling dice, essentially. And what's interesting about it is God actually, you know, it's God uses the old Jedi trick, right? You know, like, and that's how we got Anakin. I'm just kidding. So, like, he, he uses this thing, and it points to Jonah. That the, Somehow the lot is cast, and it falls upon Jonah. That's God. That's the Lord doing it. So they all look at Jonah, and he's like, God's not only Lord of the sea, Lord of the land, Lord of everything. He's Lord of the dice. You know, don't go to the casino and be like, Lord of the dice. Don't do that. Okay, that's not. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So, see, <laughs> I am the Lord of the dice. You guys, seeking to pacify the anger of whoever Jonah's God is. They want, the, the, the lot falls to Jonah, and so they're like, okay, we have to find out why your God is so angry with you. What did you do? Right? And so they're like, what do we do? They ask him questions, and Jonah answers. Look at verse 9. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. He tells them what people he's from. They ask them that. And who do you worship? He says, I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Now, a lot of times when we read that, we'll look at it and be like, he taught, he called him Lord, he called him God. Okay, great, we just move on. It's interesting to look at the word, the words that he uses because he identifies God personally and he identifies him outside of what the other gods would be considered. He says this, I worship Yahweh, who is the Elohim of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. He uses two different names for God, but he, the first one he uses when he says, I worship the Lord, that is Yahweh. He says, this is my God, and he introduces them to the Lord by name, personally. They just got a personal introduction to who the Lord is. And it's interesting because as he uses that personal name and he identifies God, he tells them something about God that they needed to know. It's not just that he, this is his name and, and he, is, he is a God that, that stands above the rest, but he goes, here's what he's done. He has made, look at verse 9, he's the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Now, if you're on a storm on the med, what part of what Jonah said would be very alarming to you? I would say it's probably the second part. You know, he made the heavens, cool. He made the dry land, wish we were there. But then he says, he made the sea. Great, Jonah, just great. 
Where are we right now? Right? Where are we right now? We're on the sea! You know, like, you angered the god of the sea! <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't comedic to them in the moment, because this was a life or death situation. As we're going to see in a second, the storm's actually getting worse as they're having these conversations. Makes you wonder how they cast dice, you know, or whatever they were doing. But, like, you think about this... The reaction of the sailors in the following verse is quite possibly just their logical reaction to hearing that this is the God who made the sea that's very angry right now. And he's very angry with Jonah. When Jonah says that this is the God he worships, the word used literally means fear. It means fear. Now, don't think about it as like, oh, fear. Think about it this way. The fear of God in the Old Testament is a very common thing. You see it used often, and it's the respect that someone has for God, which causes them to turn from evil and walk in obedience. It's not a fear like, I mean, there, you definitely see people be afraid of, of the, the presence of God when he appears. But when it talks about, I am the one who worships the Lord, he says, I worship the Lord. Well, I worship Yahweh. He's saying, I fear Yahweh. And what he's saying is, I respect God and turn from evil and walk in obedience to him. That's what proper worship is. That's what true worship is. Not just someone, <laughs> that's not true worship if someone's heart isn't given to God. It's called being a phony. Okay, and none of us should be guilty of that. What we're talking about here is Jonah looking these sailors in the eyes saying, I worship the Lord as he's on a boat going the opposite direction of God's calling. I'm not like trying to like transport you to convictionville, but this should definitely be making us aware. <laughs> Maybe you have a ticket already. Maybe you're already on your way there, but like <laughs> that should be convicting, not condemning, but convicting. If we are saying that we worship God while we're in the midst of something that's sinful, we have to feel that conviction. We have to be convicted by that. You guys, the Lord's doing this to me right now. He's doing to me, this to me in my life right now. I can't say things that I don't live. I can't be a walking contradiction. I can't be a Pharisee. And so when Jonah says this to them, it just reveals to them this truth. Something that he believes, but he's not living. That's the truth. He's misrepresenting God right there on this raging sea. And Jonah sadly, is a hypocrite. The cause of their predicament, due to his lack of worship, due to his lack of respect, and life-directing fear of God. Notice that. We should have a life-directing fear of God. Our worship should direct our lives. Your worship of God is not a supplement you take in the morning to keep you safe. You know, we're all probably really into our vitamins right now. You know, this is my vitamin to keep me safe. If I don't take it, I will get sick. But think about this. Your worship of God directs your life. It should change the course that you're on. And Jonah is on a course that is going as far away as he can get from God's calling. It's a lack of respect. And we should never be put to shame by the conviction of non-believers. These guys are looking to be saved. Jonah's a man who knows God. He's looking to get out of it. He's looking for a way out. When we find ourselves in this situation, convicted by non-believers, there's a right response and a wrong response. 
I don't know if you've ever had this happen where like you were talking to a non-believer who called you on something in your life and you were like, you know, maybe you didn't let it react on your face. Maybe you're just Stonewall Jackson. You're like, you know, and they told you that you were in sin. You're like, right. But maybe inside you're like, oh, they know. You have a choice in that moment. You have a choice. You can do the right thing or the wrong thing. The right thing is to humbly respond. Humbly respond to it. Accept it. Admit it. Repent of it. That's the first response. You can submit to God's direction. It's humility and it's submission to God. Or you can be like Jonah. (laughs) And, and, And it's funny because, you know, a lot of characters in the Bible... You know, we know that God used them, but so much of their lives were like, I can't become like this person. You know, I mean, it, well, I've heard people before try and use the, the failure of David to justify their failure. Well, God loved David and David did this. It's like, you are intended to learn from his mistakes, not repeat them. If you repeat them and you were forewarned, that makes it even worse because you knew better. It's not that David didn't know better, but you were like double warned. It was a morality that was written on your heart, and you watched this guy crash and burn because of it. So you have to respond to that. And what's interesting here is the sailors are terrified at this revelation from the mouth of Jonah. Right? They're terrified when he says this. But notice this. Think about, just in, before we go any for, for, further in this, is Jonah makes this declaration of who God is. He declares who God is. Verse 10, we're going to read, the men are seized by great fear because of what, who he says God is. And, and he's, he's here in this situation. I just want you to remember, just really quick, like pull yourself out of it. What was Jonah running from? Preaching to a Gentile city. What's Jonah doing right now in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9? Preaching on a Gentile boat. Isn't God funny? God took him. And instead of getting away from the thing he was running from, now it's a different scenario, but they're still Gentiles. They're still pagans. Jonah's there, and he didn't even, maybe he didn't even want to. Maybe he didn't even mean to. God still uses him there. He's preaching to Gentiles. Isn't that funny? He's preaching to Gentiles on a boat. He gets his work done. God gets it done, even when being a McChump. Even when I'm a McChump, he still gets it done. I don't know what McChump is, but it's probably fatty. But here's the thing. Even when I... <laughs> Sometimes I even shock myself. But here, here's the thing. God still uses us even when you can use that, even when I'm being a McChump. Okay? We have to be. Maybe you can get a six-piece, a 12-piece, a 50-piece, and a couple of Cokes. Whatever it is, we're still not doing what God wants us to. God gets it done. It's an amazing thing. It's a revelation of his grace. It's not an encouragement to sin. Don't see that as some kind of like magical God eraser for your life that whenever I mess up, he's going to come in and, and erase those things and make everything perfect. Here's the thing. He can do whatever he wants. He can show grace however he wants. That should make us love him, submit to him, and obey him at every possible turn. And to seek in our lives for ways that we can better honor him because we love him for who he is. Because we, we love who he is and what he does. How can you not love God? He actually is preaching to Gentiles as he runs away. It's unbelievable. And look at this. The men were seized by fear. They recognized, verse 10, what have you done? What is this you've done? The men knew he was freeing. I, I, like, I like the second half of verse 10. I'm sorry. I, just, I love this. The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. 
It's just like, you realize that he actually told them this. They knew this because he told them. Jonah's preaching and he doesn't even realize it. Maybe he realized it and like, I don't know. But it's crazy to me. So verse 11, they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up, throw me into the sea so that it will be calm for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Now, it makes sense that pagan worshipers would be seeking for a way to appease God. That makes sense. What do we do? What do we have to do to make this go away? If we recognize that this guy's the reason and his God's not happy, how do we change that? How do we fix that situation? What kind of sacrifice do we need to make to save ourselves from this God that's so angry? So what do we need to do to you? Like, what do we have to do? They have more reverence for God and him being a God that they don't know than Jonah has for a God who know, he knows. They have more reverence. And as this discussion's taking place, the storm's getting worse. I mentioned that before. It's ratcheting up. God's got his hand on the scarometer, and he's cranking it. It's, it's getting scarier by the second. The boat was already threatening. You know, we talked about that earlier in the text. When it says the boat was threatening to break apart, it means it was thinking about it. Literally, means the boat was thinking about breaking apart. It's close right? And so things are getting worse. He's applying pressure. God is applying pressure to the situation, pressure to the sailors and pressure on Jonah. And you can feel the tension growing. Now, Jonah has a decision to make. And I, and I think that um, as we look at this decision that Jonah makes and the things that he says here, I've seen this explained by different commentators in, in a couple of different directions. Um, and, and not saying that, that anyone is right or wrong for doing so, but I think it helps to read the entire book of, of Jonah to see how Jonah acts through chapters 3 and 4 to understand what Jonah's doing here. I think it teaches us more about who he is and understand his reaction, his responses and situations. Jonah has a decision to make. They say, what do we do to you? Storm's getting worse. Situation's, you know, kind of coming apart at the seams. He's, he can do one of two things. He can repent. He can repent right there and say, I will cry out to my God and be happy. Jonah could have done that. He could have cried out to the Lord. I'm, I was wrong. I've sinned. He could have owned this. And there's, there's a number of things he could have done, but I think that he had two clear decisions that he could make. He could do that and repent or what he does here. Pick me up and throw me into the sea so it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that's against you. There are two options here, two opinions that I want to highlight. Either Jonah's heart has changed, and he's willing to be sacrificed for the lives of these men. I don't see it in the text. I don't see Jonah having any change of heart. We see Jonah as a man who's running still. We see Jonah still in a downward spiral. I don't see any support for that myself in the text. As you look at Jonah's heart, maybe a change. He just He's willing to throw himself, you know, throw me overboard and I'll save you all. I don't see that. In fact, if you look at the way Jonah talks in chapters 3 and 4, we learn something um, that's very similar to this. Jonah would rather die than obey. Jonah would rather die than see God do things his way. Jonah's very much a my way or the highway type guy, and he does it to God. He says those things to God. And we may not see an extreme case like this very often, but how many of us would rather die in our flesh-honoring choices than obey the call of God to walk in righteousness? 
How many of us would rather die in our flesh than obey God? How many of us would choose people over God? How many of us would choose our friends, even the friends that are dragging us into the gutter, over a God who loves us and saves us? How many of us are making those choices every single day? We could be making spiritual decisions. We could be making physical decisions that are both going to kill us spiritually and physically. And if you are hearing me right now and you're realizing at this moment that there's a bit of Jonah in you, hear me. Listen to me, please. Listen to this. You don't win in a fight with God. You cannot run from him. You cannot beat him. You cannot prove to him that you are right and he is wrong. You can't. The only place you're going to end up in a lifestyle like that is pain and suffering. So stop. Throw your hands up right there in the midst of the storm. Repent. Why is it that these worldly Gentiles are the ones seeking for what must be done to be saved and God's man in the boat wants to die? Sees no purpose in life. This is what rebellious pride turns us into. It turns us into hypocrites. It turns us into people who are not reflecting the image of God, but rather people who are reflecting the image of themselves. And at this very moment, Jonah is more idolatrous than these pagans. Even though they've been calling out to their gods looking for salvation, they were looking for saving, and their hearts are in a better place right now than Jonah's. I think the text is clear. And in rebellion, we seek, we speak of the God we serve, but we don't actually serve him. In rebellion, we can talk real good. We can talk about all the things we need to do, but our actions are totally opposite. Have you ever been in that situation yourself? Have you ever known somebody in this situation that says everything that they know to be true, but does everything the opposite? This is rebellion to God. It's the choice that I would... I feel like it's a tragedy, but I understand it has to happen in order for us to have a real loving relationship. But it's a tragedy that we actually have the choice to choose against God because people actually do. And I think we've seen this since the garden with Adam and Eve, and we see it continue today. And it's just heartbreaking the place that not only we've seen other people be in, but the place that we find ourselves in sometimes just like this. So set on what we want, so set on what we should have rather than what God has for us. And here's the thing, your faith matters not if you don't live it. Read James chapter 2, please. Faith without works is death. Your works don't save you. They're the proof of what you believe. And if you believe something, you live it. Jonah's actions are misrepresenting God. We must never make light of rebellion. Take it seriously always. And whenever the light of the word of God, whenever we look at the word of God and it reveals rebellion, surrender immediately. Don't fight against it. Stop trying to run and prove Don't be like the wicked person who flees when no one pursues. Don't be like the fool who runs when God calls. We don't have to hide. We can come forward and let the Lord cleanse us. There are a number of ways that we react to God's revelation of our heart when he shows us that we have sin in our heart. There are a number of ways that we react. Some are stubborn and want to fight. Some are passive. I'll deal with it later, but never really do. Some submit and give their lives to the Lord. But I think we see another category here. And this is Jonah. 
Jonah chooses drama. Jonah goes drama. Throw me overboard. I'd rather die. Right? <laughs> I mean, Jonah belongs on a stage somewhere. Throw me overboard. My life isn't worth anything. Then everything will be fine for you. Just kill me. All of the above are wrong. Stubborn, stubborn wanting to fight. Passive, I'll deal with it, but never really do. The dramatic like Jonah, take the easy way out, just kill me, dramatic about it. All of those are wrong. The only right answer is submission. The only right answer is obedience. The only right answer is, is admitting that God is right. But when we're talking about these wrong reactions, we're talking about fighting against God. We're talking about saying we'll deal with it, but never really dealing with it. And then just being dramatic and I'd just rather die. I'd rather, you know, turning to some other thing, worshiping it. All of these are seeking to steal autonomy from God. All of these things are seeking to control God through our own actions, to seize that autonomy from him for ourselves, to be our own God. They're all idolatry, they're all full of pride, and they're all supposed to die with the old man. Christian, these things are supposed to be dead. Read Colossians chapter 3, especially verse 5. He says, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives us a list, he talks about it, and he gives us more. He identifies so many aspects of our lives. But here's the thing. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. If you recognize earthly nature in you, put it to death. Do not put it in a drawer. Do not deal with it later. Do not roll around the ground. I'll never be free of this. Put it to death. You can do this in Christ. You absolutely can. And so can I. The response of the sailors to Jonah's solution from the storm is admirable. What they're going to respond with next, they actually don't want him to die. They don't want to throw him overboard. They have a moral check about what, where he's at. The Gentiles are more moral at this point than Jonah. No, that's not right. We don't throw people overboard. I mean, imagine you're in a really bad storm on the sea. Some guy's like, hey, you're throwing dice? Yeah, I just came to your number. It's your fault. Yeah, I served God. I made him mad. All right, throw me overboard. Okay. Who would do that? Right? Like, we immediately are like, no, that's not okay. Even people that don't know the Lord think that. And here's the thing. These Gentiles are more moral. More moral. Say that five times fast. They're more moral than Jonah is. No, we're not going to throw you overboard. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Verse 15, Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. Actually happened real. I can't help but wonder what it would be like, and, and, and it's, it's an interesting thing for us to think about. I can't imagine what it would be like for Jonah to watch these men refuse to throw him overboard and row as hard as they possibly can to get him to dry land. I can't imagine what that would be like. I don't know what that did to him. I don't know if it did anything to him. But these guys were fighting for his life. They saw value in his life. They would rather row as hard as they possibly can then throw him into the ocean to save themselves. Now there's some beautiful pictures there that we'll talk about in a minute. 
But I think it's admirable to look at these guys and see that they weren't okay with Jonah going to his watery grave, if you will, on their account. They're going to try every option left to them to prevent sending Jonah to his death. And understand this, an Israelite reading this text would be shocked by this. Someone from Israel that was reading this at that time would be like, wait, what? These are pagan, godless people, and yet they did this. It would confront their belief that non-Hebrews were unworthy of God's mercy. It would confront that belief. It may not change their mind, but it would at least confront it. It was a lesson that they needed, and it was a lesson that Jonah needed. It's a lesson that we need as well. The people we see as unsavable are savable by God. The people that we see as lost causes are not lost causes to him. He sees them as people not only worth saving, but that can be saved. And that's why we're in their lives. The question is, are we doing our job? Are we actually ministering to people that we're in the lives of? Are we too busy focusing on our own problems? Are we too busy thinking about how tough our life is right now rather than ministering to people? And I'm not saying we aren't going to struggle with our situations, but what I'm saying is if that's superseding the Great Commission in your life, you need to get God's priorities above yours. And so do I. And we go through this together. And that's why we're together because we talk to each other about these things and we encourage each other in these things. That's why it's important that you not only listen to sermons, but you're in community. Get into a community group. Talk with people weekly. You know, I don't, I don't get to see anybody. You got Zoom. It's free. Use it. Talk to people. FaceTime. Message them. Get involved in people's lives. We need to be reminded of these things. We cannot become self-centered. It makes us like Jonah. And there are Gentiles on boats. We're saving. This is the message that we should come that should come from our mouths and should be observable in our lives. That God cares about these people and that they're worth saving. He loves them. Rather than God having to make an example out of us because of our rebellion. In other words, we should be willing participants, moldable clay, not stubborn, brittle substance that doesn't work with God. He can still get his work done, but I don't want him to do it in spite of me. I want him to do it through me. A compliant son is who I want to be. Spurgeon noted that when we look at the crew of the ship, we observe four amazing points. We see sinners, when they're tossed upon the sea of conviction, make desperate efforts to save themselves. They threw all their stuff overboard, right? They did a number of things like that. We see the fleshly efforts of awakened sinners must inevitably fail. We see the soul's sorrow will continue to increase as long as it relies on its own efforts. Our situation gets worse and worse the more we rely on ourselves. And then finally, we see the way of safety for sinners is to be found in the sacrifice of another on their behalf. It's an amazing thing to think about, and the final point is the most impactful. We see God use Jonah as an example of Christ, even because he's cast overboard thereby saving everyone in the boat. And how long was he in the stomach of the fish? Three days. What's powerful and impactful about this, you guys, is that this is a message of salvation before Christ even came. Jesus even refers back to it as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. So will the Son of Man be in the tomb for three days. And so, you guys, isn't it incredible how God can reveal a picture of Christ 
even through a rebellious servant. Looking at the text in, in the way that, that we see it as in its entirety really lends itself to seeing Jonah still being in somewhat of a rebellious state. Getting to chapter 2, there seems to be some heart change there, but chapters 3 and 4, it's more of the same. And what's interesting is that a lot of times we want to show that Jonah went through this really hard time in his life, figured it out, you know, was thrown overboard into the sea, sacrificing himself, great picture of Christ, you know, and all these things. But we also know Jonah still struggles. And so I think that we see a very human experience going on in Jonah's life. Failure, brokenness, obedience, failure, brokenness. It's like it's this, it's this constant cycle of, well, wait a minute, I just want to be broken and then be done. Yeah, that would be nice. But you recognize that you still live in flesh and that you still struggle in a sinful world. And until Jesus comes, we are going to continue to battle. We're in a battle. The victory's already won, but we still have to go through this battle, which means that we still have to walk by faith and we still have to go through the process of maturity as he grows us in that. And so maybe Jonah wanted to be thrown overboard to save the Gentile sailors. I don't see that in the text. I see no support for that. But I do see a powerful picture of God using someone to even be a representation of Christ when he was a horrible failure. Because God gets his glory. God makes his point in spite of us if he has to. But it's a reminder of why we should be compliant because God wants to point people to Jesus just as he did with Jonah. But he wants to point people to Jesus through us, through obedience. I don't want God to have to work in spite of me. I want him to work because I'm compliant. Jonah in in chapter 2 is certainly going to reveal the heart of a man that's broken. But how often do we submit to God in one moment and strike up in pride the next? It's interesting. We want uh, we want the book of Jonah to have this this Disney ending, you know, Cinderella and the dude dancing around the end, right? And that's what we want, happily ever after. Well, you know, life isn't like that. It's not happily ever after until the king comes back. Amen. It's not going to be okay until Jesus comes until Jesus returns. And so we recognize that a lot of times the things that we're going through are not going to have the type of ending that we want. We know the ultimate ending is going to be what we want. It's Jesus. But you guys, Jonah's story, spoiler, is not going to end with this perfect little tidy up, finish off, you know, Jonah's a happy guy, God's all pleased with Jonah, good boy Jonah. It's not going to end like that. The story doesn't end that way. And I think that we learn a lesson from that because we look at the scriptures and we recognize that the Bible is true. It's pointing us to a reality in a man's life that we can learn from. And here's the thing. I don't want there to be a rebellious heart within me because even if my life ends tragically, I want it to end tragically submissive or submitted to God. I want my life to end in a way that my heart is submitted to him no matter how it ends because that is the way it's supposed to be. We need to have inside of us the humility to recognize when God's getting our attention when we're walking in the flesh. God is so good. He pours out grace. He still works. But we want to be willing participants of that. And aren't you glad that God glorifies himself through all of his creation, even when we, the ones who are supposed to glorify him the most, fail? God still glorifies his name. I just want to I want him to find in me 
a vessel that's ready to be filled, clay that's ready to be molded. And that's what we learned from Jonah. So that's chapter 1, and we'll get into chapter 2 next week. Let's pray, and we will spend some time in worship together. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we just thank you for um, loving us. Lord, in spite of, of all that we do, Lord, we not only see your compassion in Jonah's story, but God, towards him, but we see it towards these Gentiles. It's just you loving people all across the board. And so, um, God, I just thank you for loving your church, loving your people, loving people who aren't safe. God, you love everyone. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show us how we can really introspectively examine our own hearts and, Lord, that we would realize that it's to you that we owe our worship. God, I pray that none of us would be saying things, Lord, that we don't live. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would convict us, God, of things that we say that aren't true to how we're living. We would look at your word and we would let it dictate both words and actions together. Make us congruent in that way. God, show us how to adjust our lives so that our, our words and our lifestyles are equal. Submitted to you, humble before you, bringing you glory. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for letting us see Jesus yourself in these pages. As these men made vows as they worshipped you, as that sea calmed down. Lord, it's this powerful reminder that you, you saved those men. I believe you saved them on that day. That was it. And it was with this picture, Jesus of yourself. It's a picture of you going into the grave. The Lord, the story wouldn't end there. Thank you, Jesus, for a, a reminder of you in the story of Jonah. May our lives, Lord, speak the same thing. May our lives be reminders of you, even in ways that we couldn't orchestrate. God, it's just the way that you do things. 